Welcome to Women in B2B Marketing, a show where CMOs, VPs of marketing, and all strong women leaders in B2B discuss their top tactics, strategies, and tips for building high-performing teams, leveraging trends, and ultimately rocking their marketing careers. Made by and for women, insightful for all. I'm your host and 15-year B2B marketer, Jane Sarah. Let's dive in. All right. Hi, everybody. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Women in B2B Marketing. And today we have with us the lovely Elizabeth Haig, who is Senior Director of Brand and Demand Marketing at Very. I've also been recommended to have her on the show by several people because she's just amazing, as you'll see today. So Elizabeth, welcome. So glad to have you here. I That was the nicest intro ever. Can I have <laughs> you do all my intros? Anytime, so anytime. <laughs> so nice. Thank you, Jane. So sweet. Also, Thank you for having me. You're very welcome. Anytime. And very, just a fun fact for Elizabeth, just what I've seen of you in LinkedIn and right now on the show, for anyone who can see the video when we get this on YouTube, she is also a style icon. I oh, have to say, you. always to the T, <laughs> like perfect. So you'll see when I share some clips on LinkedIn, but definitely I'm sure that's a, a side passion at the very least. <laughs> oh yeah. That's a whole, we could probably do a whole other podcast about like yes. owning yourself, authenticity, city at work, bringing yourself to work. Ooh. I mean, I've, I've heard everything in my career from like praise to criticism to, you know, and everything in between. So yeah, you yeah. just be you. <laughs> Let's get that We're as crazy another, colors. Yeah. yeah, as another women in revenue huddle. <laughs> yeah. Big hats, crazy colors, lipstick, like just do or not, like just do whatever, you know? <laughs> yeah. Whatever gives you confidence, right? At the For end sure. of the day. Love yeah. That. Well, let's dive in. Very first question I like to ask on the show is how did you first get into B2B marketing? B2B marketing was an accident. So I came up through creative. Um, I have a background in fine arts gallery space. <laughs> there we go. That yeah. makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You can still see the roots. Like it's, it's still, it's still there. It still exists. So came up through creative, came up through organic. And originally I, I landed on a B2C marketing team at a major clothing conglomerate, which you're like, okay, that also makes sense. Like that makes sense yep. too. <laughs> and then from there, I started working with several different types of businesses. I had a side hustle, like we all do. And I started to fall into B2B and learning more about, okay, well, how do I market to businesses? How do I, what problems are they really facing? And that was really, really interesting to me. It was more challenging. You know, it's like with B2C there, it's very competitive and very cutthroat, but with B2B, you have to be like really business savvy. And so that kind yeah. of spoke to a part of my brain that made a lot of sense at the time. So I love both. They both come with like, you know, both of their benefits, you know, both have challenges. So yeah. Yeah. Do you see yourself going back to the B2C side one day in the future, kind of interchangeably? It's definitely interchangeable for me. I mean, they do have their own nuances. I think it it's just, I don't know, you know, B2C in and of itself is kind of like, it's so competitive. Everyone wants to be in B2C. They all want to work for like the major consumer packaged goods or like the big ones, like a beauty yeah. product or whatever. True. I feel like it would be a magnum opus to like be the head of something at some fabulousness, like drunk elephant or whatever, yeah. like they call me. But yeah, I mean, like, <laughs> hey, I go where the challenges are and B2B right now is extremely challenging. And that's really interesting to me. Oh, why do you think that is that the you're drawn to these challenges? <laughs> I don't know. You're going to turn this into a therapy session. <laughs> Tell me about it. It's like, who hurt you? Like, why do you? No. So, <laughs> um, 
No, I think there's just like people for better or worse, describe me as ambitious. Luckily I haven't had too much. I'm sure a lot of women in B2B, especially B2B tech have heard like themselves be described as ambitious, which is is a nice way of saying, like, if you were a man, you'd probably be president or CEO or (laughs) universe of the world, you know, like leader of the world by now. Yeah. But I love good competitive challenge. I love getting my hands dirty. I love rolling my sleeves up. And the more you dive into the logic of things is the more it informs like your strategy. There's always a problem to solve. I mean, that's intrinsically true of any marketing, you know, it could be B2C, it could be B2B. But yeah, I mean, I chose probably one of the most difficult career paths. I specialized in brand as specifically rebrands. And anyone out there who specializes in brand probably Um, They're like preaching to the choir. Rebrands are probably the hardest business thing you could do. They're the riskiest. They're the most expensive. So, I mean, it's just attractive to me in different ways. You know, it it gets your brain working. It it gets you thinking about the bigger picture and it gets you thinking about business strategy. And that's really fascinating to me. Love that. I want to, you're touching on branding and rebrand. And Mm -hmm. I'd love to dive into this more because there's something you said before we hit record that resonates with me and I would love to unpack it is you don't recommend for a rebrand changing the name of the company. Can you tell us a little bit more there? Yeah. So a rebrand is usually an uphill battle anyways. It's not a decision any company should ever take lightly. I've worked with lots of people. If people were afraid of rebranding, then I wouldn't have made a career in it. It's a very profitable career. However, It comes with like very large business risks. So unless you're ready to restart your business model or divorce yourself from a previous poor product market fit, you know, if you're ready to like completely start over, maybe you've got some, you know, runway or capital or someone is invested in you, it may make sense. Maybe something, usually the only time you rename is when something really bad is happened and you need to distance yourself from bad strategy or I really, it's a struggle for me to unless there's a, even legally, like it's a struggle for me to think of a reason why you would abandon the name. And it's typically because you are trying to legally protect yourself in one way or another, which isn't inherently bad, Yeah, but it also means that it comes with like extreme business decisions. And it's a very financially risky decision to make very, very expensive. <laughs> yeah. We've already expensive experience, right? So <laughs> So true. I mean, you have to everything. There's all the things behind the scenes that you don't even know about, like the legal issues. But then there's also changing everything, all the branding that's out there. If you have any physical offices, the swag that you have to send out to everybody, just huge expense, right? It's insane. Yeah. Depending on what the company strategy is. And we were also talking, you know, verbal mission, vision, values, employer brand that could impact like employee retention, employee attraction there. It touches every single part of a business. I don't mean to scare people like, yes, rebrand, hire an expert, make sure whoever's on your team internally understands the structure of a rebrand. Or if they don't like make sure they're willing to learn and hire the best of the best. I have recommendations. I definitely do. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, it is, it is a rollout in and of itself is a huge project. Not, not even withstanding like the rebrand itself. It's, it's a lot of work, but it's good work. It's work that's worthy to do. And it's important to do, especially at specific times in a company's trajectory of growth. Yeah. What do you see as kind of indicators that a company is in need of a rebrand? 
Well, I mean, just from like a tactical perspective, like if your employees are struggling to produce high quality work, whether that be like organic content, social, competitive work, maybe you're, you know, and you were talking about visual, I'm thinking specifically in the realm of content, you know, maybe even Mm -hmm. your demand manager is struggling to produce like competitive ad sets for A-B testing. That's a good indicator from that tactical level. From the top level, it really depends on if you, so a good indicator of when you need to rebrand is that if you have a top level business strategy, say the C-suites have a business strategy, they feel really confident and comfortable in it. However, their customers do not understand the value of you know what the company offers. The employees, high turnover rate, they do not understand your mission, vision, values. There is a disconnect between the top level and then that middle to bottom level layer. So we're talking directors down or VPs down. Mm-hmm. That means that there's a lack of communication there. So it doesn't necessarily mean it warrants a whole full visual rebrand, but there is some brand development work. I mean, strong comms, strong ecosystem, a playbook to go by, those are all like classic brand elements. So, you know, when you hear a brander get on their soapbox and say, like, oh, you know, a brand is not just your logo. That's usually what they're talking about. And so if you're trying to do a hockey stick of growth, you know, you're trying to attract acquisition or new investors and you're just spinning your wheels and you're like, people don't understand the value of what I have. I have something of high value. We've established product market fit, but it's just not gelling. You definitely need to take a look at your brand. Mm. And it must be like a spectrum, right? Where there's people mm-hmm. say the word refresh sometimes, like it's a facelift oh, yeah. and a brand yeah. refresh. Do you see that all? It's all under the rebrand umbrella, I presume. Yeah. I mean, you're it, to me, it's all inherent risk. And so you have to weigh the value of the cost of doing something. Are you just putting it into the cost of doing business? Any change you make needs to have an explanation. It has to be backed by like really smart data. And it's, it, you yeah. have to pay for it. It's going to be, you're going to pay for it one way or another, whether it's um, usually it's monetary, but you also have to like sales is going to be impacted, you know, like True. internal teams are going to be impacted even with a refresh. Like say you're like, Oh, I'm just going to change the color. Like you're a C-suite and you're like, mm-hmm. it's sort of like that, you know, C-suites make these like small decisions, but the farther out from that decision, it's like a pendulum. It just like gets bigger. And bigger. <laughs> like, yes. Impact, right? Yes. So that's it, so it true. Costs. Yeah. It costs. So people always are like, well, I remember the first rebrand I was a part of, and it was like a couple million dollar rebrand for this major corporation. I was just the small baby marketer at the time. And I was like, the only thing they changed was like the E and a slight like color change on this logo. And it was like at least a couple million dollars from this New York City firm. And I was like, what was the point of this? Why? And I remember as like a little baby marketer being like, this is so expensive. This is so expensive. You know, did this choice make sense? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it to, to them at the time it did. And it actually like updated the brand and refreshed it and made it a little bit more accessible. It turned it from something old to something new. And then they, wow. they saw a boost in sales the next like couple of they quarters. They did. Yep. Wow. So it, so it did have it. that impact. It did. At the time though, I was like, oh my God, I have so much work. Cause I was just like, marketing specialist, you know, just yeah. like a baby marketer. And I was like, oh my yeah. God, I'm going to change all this crap, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's so true because it gives you so much more work to do. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. Have you ever seen kind of on the flip side, a rebrand gone wrong? 
Well, the only time I've ever seen someone really struggle through a rebrand was when they didn't take the time to legally protect their name. I had a, yeah, I had a client work with me. Now at the time when I was running my business, he was an entrepreneur. I did, um, most of my clients were, I served micro businesses up to like established startups with funding. So anywhere between breaking into your first million, but I really specialized in 10 million to 100 million AR companies pre-IPO. That was kind of my sweet spot, but I worked with a lot of small companies too. I had a client who, I don't do legal. I'm not legal. You know, I just know who to ask. I'm smart enough to be like, hey, you know, did you get this protected? Because I'm not a lawyer. Yeah. And this person was like, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty good. I've been in business for empty years, like we're fine. And it turned out halfway through or near the end of the visual sprint, she got a cease and desist letter. And that was devastating for us because we had spent so much time. So she and I sat down and we worked out like, okay, what can we do? Let's strategize. Let's get a lawyer in. Let's like re-register a name. Let's protect it. Let's put a service mark on it. And we both learned a lot. You know, we we really learned a lot, but that was really, really hard because that's so, so expensive. (laughs) Yeah. A name means so much and having to read mm-hmm. name was, that's, that's, that's hard. <laughs> so is that what you had to do? You had to come up with a new name mm-hmm. for the company. So it became a full rebrand in every aspect. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, we were able to save quite a bit of the initial business strategy and a lot of the persona development work. So what we, what I typically did at that time was, you know, I would, you know, do customer surveys and understand the sentiment of the business and look at the strategy. So that was still good. So thank God for that. Like, oh my God. But I really, really felt horrible. I was like, okay, let's let's sit down and, and look at this from an ops perspective. How long does this extend the time of this experience? What would the cost be? And we worked out a, a schedule for it, but I just, it was just... I just, my heart went out to her. I was like, you know, yeah. it happens. This is business. Let's get through it. We'll We'll get through it. And we did. And she did well. Yeah. Awesome. So, I mean, a couple takeaways from that one is that you can get through anything. Oh, God. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Expect challenges to be put Mm -hmm. in your way and you will work through them and around them. Mm-hmm. And second is to talk to your lawyer, get your lawyer involved <laughs> to make sure you're crossing all the, all your T's dotting all your I's along the yeah. way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And you can always find the positive in something, you know, it turned out better, you know, it turned out so much better, even though go. it was a bunch of tears. And I was just kind of like, oh my God, I'm going to be a therapist and brander. It's okay. We got <laughs> this, you know? <laughs> yeah. I think that tends to happen with marketing teams. No, I do kind of feel the role of therapist often. And I have throughout my career, which I, I kind of enjoy. That was my backup career. So <laughs> yeah, it's t- I mean, marketing can be a little bit of the wild, wild west. You know, you have yeah. all sorts of philosophies and all different personalities types, you know, it's like, I build my teams with autonomy and, you know, good team norms and, you know, embracing diversity where I can and just like skyrocketing talent. In order to do that, you have to just be cognizant and self-aware and open and accepting. I mean, people are people, humans are humans. We all make mistakes. The most important thing is like, you can't be perfect. How is it possible? The only reason I'm like, don't rename is because I've seen all of the things that happen after someone read. I mean, how would I know that? Because we've gone through these. Yeah. Yeah. We've gone through these experiences together and and we get through it and we become better marketers because of it. So what's, what's life without a little spicy challenge, you know? (laughs) Yeah. So true. I like that. I like that take and your perspective. Why not? Keep it, keep it fun. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Keep it fun. And remember people are human. I love it. 
Are there any other, not indicators, but I guess tips to keep in mind for anybody that is about to go through a rebrand or is considering or is in the middle of one? <laughs> like any tips other, other than the lawyer and don't worry, you'll get through it. Anything else that our, our listeners should know? Yeah, it doesn't matter the scale of the business from tiny to massive. Like if you do not have an organized operations plan for the project, it's going to be rough. So, and when I mean by organization, I mean like PM your way through the madness because there's going to be something you forget. And I, every time I do a rebrand, I tell my people like, we are going to go through a documentation because we're talking about rollout, right? Like for these larger companies, you, I mean, platforms you would never even think of DocuSign, whoops, you know, like things that when you're ready to launch, you're just like, oh, I did not even know that was a logo that I needed to change. Who who has a login (laughs) for this platform? Oh my God, Divi Pay. I forgot about Divi Pay, you know, like these invoices we're sending to clients. It's like, oh, don't get me started on email signatures. You know, it's like, Oh, okay. Headshots, headshots of people with old logos of t-shirts on, you know, just the tiny things. So if you do not have a a killer project manager or like just someone there documenting, just thinking about those things, I mean, it just becomes like hurting a thousand cats, not just five cats, not just 10 cats, a thousand cats. And even if you do an amazing job and just slay all the demons in the room, you're going to miss something. There's going to be something where you're like, something is going to fall through. Like, how did I not update G2? My exactly. I was just oh thinking God. that <laughs> the millions of review sites out there, the one oh that my you God. forgot about and you set up 10 years ago, that's oh, yeah. what's going to come up. <laughs> Tell me about it. Yeah. I mean, we all do the mains, you know, like all my social media, like all my channels, all my stuff, all my email signatures, like we can probably get that through like Signify or, you know, whatever email management thing, you know, Yeah. but it's like, it's the weird ones that get you and it can be stressful for someone, especially there's so many overachievers and perfectionists in marketing that just want to nail and they're like afraid to fail. It's like, okay, you gotta let that go because you're gonna miss something because there's, just make sure it's not a big thing. (laughs) Yeah. Exactly. Like, make sure it's not like a billboard, like, and you'll be okay, you know? <laughs> I, yeah, exactly. A huge oh thing God. that's highly visible. <laughs> yeah, I wonder if there's that. a fully comprehensive list somewhere, because that would be <gasps> a really valuable asset, no? <laughs> you know, um, it's it's more a framework than it is a list. You know, if yeah. you have like a, a framework you use, like, so my advice is, so what I usually do is I have buddy up with someone and I interview the head and the the head and the lieutenant is what I usually call it. So like, the person who's in charge of the department and then their lieutenant, you interview them twice. So at the beginning of the rebrand, you collect all of their assets. So that's the framework. You build a, a spreadsheet you build a t-shirt size, small, medium, large of the lift, you assign who would be in charge of updating those things. And then once you're done, you revisit them again, three, four months down the line, right before you start. Hey, remember, this is the list that I'm in charge of, my department's in charge of, you're in charge of, the agency is in charge of. Can you remember anything else? And then usually, boom, 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 two, three other platforms. Oh, I just ran across yes. this thing today. Oh, my lawyer's office, um, they send out letterhead. It's like these little, you got to interview them twice and give them enough. So it's more of the frame. Yeah, that's a really good tip, I think, just to remember interview from the beginning, but also do a check-in because you're right, things always pop up and they're not going to remember to ping you or to be like, hey, I remember this other platform because they're doing a million things. All of these stakeholders are always so busy. So just to get them check in a couple times, so smart. Yeah. 
Yeah. I'm so sorry. My headphones died. Of course they did. All good. <laughs> so it sounds different. I'm sorry. All good. <laughs> of course. Let me charge them. Fun, fun. Okay, there we go. Well, this is a perfect segue into something that you've said a couple times on on our caller, us talking so far, and that is you being human. And I want to touch on this more because that just when just full disclosure for everybody, I was late to this call because (laughs) I got a phone call just as it hit the time that we were supposed to meet. And these things happen. And graciously, I talked to I came on and Elizabeth said, oh, that just proves that you're human. I just I love that. And it opened up the conversation and it just made me instantly love you. So (laughs) it's just a great. I would love to dive into kind of the, I think you, I've seen you post about this on LinkedIn, but let me know if I'm making this up about the importance of leadership and building a, a strong team. And I think from what I've seen from you already, that that is a big piece of, of how you lead a strong team is acknowledging it, like, and recognizing all of us are human and things happen and it's great and embracing those human factors. So if you could dive into that, that would be wonderful. Yeah. I mean, I think all of us have had rough run-ins with just our own high expectations. And if you're a marketer and you've been doing this for a while, especially if you're a leader, I guarantee the next thing I'm going to say, you're going to be like, oh my God, that's me. How did she know? (laughs) You're probably a goalpost mover. So what I mean by that is like you accomplish something and then when you accomplish it, you don't celebrate it. You're like, that was not good enough. The next thing is going to be it. And you're always looking towards the future. And that's a normal, natural inclination. However, and I'm not saying I have not stopped doing this. Like I am a hundred percent like, yeah, me and my therapist, let's go, you know, like (laughs) constantly moving those goalposts, let's do it. But my job as a leader is to make a space for people to fail and to set the norms for my team to ask stupid questions. I'm usually the first person to ask a stupid question. I'm not afraid to appear inefficient in a particular area because there's just absolutely no way as a human being with families and spouses and lives outside of work and medical stuff and parental stuff and family stuff. And I mean, like the bills we have to pay, there's just no way that you could be perfect 24 seven, you know, like, yeah, yeah, sure. Like we could goalpost move all day about it, but like the most important thing to do to build a high performing team is to motivate them to be honest and open and give them the autonomy. I mean, if they're not performing well in their job, you know, there's coaching, there's lots that you could do, but that's different than being like a perfectionist. My chronic overachievers are the ones that burn out first because they feel like it's okay to not make mistakes. And I need them to be comfortable because that means that they get to hang out with me longer. And I like that. So there's like a mutual benefit experience here for me. Like I want you to hang out with me as long as possible because I like you first of all, but second of (laughs) all, like you do killer work, please don't burn out, you know, like, so little things like, you know, giving them a couple hours on Friday to like, just get out of here or having coffee, you know, at four 30 and being like, cool, it is now five. Like, we've go leave, you know, Yeah, making mistakes, like trying something and having it royally fail, you know, it's okay. That just means that we're all human and that we're trying our best to trying to find things that move the business needle, you know? Yes. And the important thing is what you learn from that, right? That yeah. isn't, I forget if I heard a study like with stats behind this, but the best way to learn is through failing. 
And oh, you right. have to make these mistakes in order to learn. I mean, we even just talked about that with rebrands, mm-hmm. right? Like you learned all of these things from just coming in across these challenges and you had, that's how you learn. Now people have learned through you so they don't have to make those mistakes or, or come across <laughs> those challenges, but it's, it's just super helpful to learn firsthand that way. Right. Yeah. And I, I mean, as a leader, it's my, it's my duty to help you fail and to give you the space to fail because I want you to do amazing work. So and some of the, I'm a huge fan of integrated marketing. Like I love everyone having visibility in everyone else's work. Communication is key, obviously, but I like to set aside an experiment, like experimentation for either each discipline, or we we all agree at the beginning of whatever fiscal year quarter, whatever, whenever we're planning for multi-quarter planning or yearly planning, we agree on what thing we're going to experiment on. And like the thing that I'm running right now, the experiment that I'm running, like failed like five times because it was a pain in my butt. Like, yeah, I'm gathering like original stats and that is a lot hard. I was like, oh, we'll just do a survey. And it was like, (laughs) I was like this audience, it's high enterprise. Like they do not want to give me their information. I'm just like, okay, we incentivized it. It failed. You know, and here (laughs) I am leading this project and I'm openly raising my hand because I keep missing deadlines and I'm like, it's failing. Okay, team, this failed. This strategy failed. It's it has done well in the past. So I had no evidence as to why this particular strategy failed. However, the evidence is obvious. We failed. Suggestions on what to do next. Do you want to scrap it? Do you want to keep it? And everyone's like, we love this project. It's great. Like we're getting so much good intel and information, so much good sentiment, so much about the buyer's journey. We got to keep doing this. And I'm like, cool. You guys realize though, that like, we're like four months behind on this. (laughs) (laughs) And Luckily, it's not. It's the experiment. It's the safe place to actually fail. It's not like a business as usual. It's not stopping content production. It's not stopping channel marketing. It's not stopping paid media. You know, so we have our always on stuff. But because we've created a space to fail, we've given back that autonomy to be like, well, that let's be honest about this, you know, like just talk about strategies and learn together. It's probably so powerful too to hear you say, well, this failed. So yeah. how do we do this? And just yeah. kind of embracing and like, first of all, owning that something failed is seems like such a big step for a leader to acknowledge that. And the world didn't fall apart, right? Like yeah. this failed and everything's still okay. Mm-hmm. Like it's fine. So that probably just takes a weight off of everybody on your team to just keep going and find new things. And it gives them the ability and the autonomy, as you said, to just go and fail themselves because mm-hmm. the world keeps on moving. Yeah. And then second to embrace it, right? This is yeah. great. Do we want to keep going on this? Do we want to make this work and turn the failure into a success or do we want to scrap it and move on to a new experiment? Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. And you know, the interesting part about this is that I didn't always operate this way as a leader. I used to be very fearful. I used to be like very like micromanagey. And I finally ended up letting that go because I had a couple of bosses do similar to me. And I was like, you know what? This doesn't feel great. I'm going to change the way that I, when I'm a leader, I'm going to, you know, when I grow up to lead a big team or whatever, I'm going to change the way I do things. And um, comparatively, just looking at the, the data from my own experience, the teams that I was on previously, they would constantly miss their KPIs for the quarter, you know, or their revenue goals or their pipeline goals for the quarter. So running the teams in the last, especially the last couple of years, the way that I'm running them now, they typically exceed their KPIs. They hit their numbers and their goals. 
Because exactly, you know, we saw, you know, record breaking growth last year. This year is a really, really tough year. So we're seeing stabilization, yes. which is what? That's a win. What? Exactly, <laughs> Jane. Stabilization in this market and high executive sales. Hello. Like, that's amazing. So I attribute that to, I have an amazing CMO I report to. She's fantastic. She's set great team norms. We have full team support. So I don't have to do an uphill battle. Absolutely love her. She's amazing. And then on top of that, like I've given my team that safe space to like, just tear it up. Just like, Hey, we have an always on like, you know, thing that's, that's helping us hit our KPIs like each quarter we, and they know what their goals are, right? We're very autonomous to come up with cool ideas. And then we have this place to just like, let it fly. And I've found so much more success there because there's an openness and like we're no one in the room is like hey I don't feel good about you know they're open to sharing you know it's not like a yeah. micromanagey thing or like oh there's a leader in the room I better be quiet you know it's not like that yeah so great sounds like an amazing environment over at uh, at very on the marketing team yeah so great. yeah I'm trying um, to bring it with me wherever I go <laughs> Perfect. We And we touched on failure and we touched mm-hmm. on how you're stabilizing, which again is a big win right now <laughs> in B2B. We're all, it's just, woo. Uh-huh. Curious, what is working for you right now? Or just, it could be a channel, it could be a method, strategy, whatever you want to kind of dive into, but what's working in these crazy times? Yeah. I mean, it depends on the company that you're at, but right now it's all about personalization I've been a big, mm-hmm. huge fan of personalization forever. Authenticity and personalization is like that foundation of good brand, brand messaging, brand strategy. And if you can marry that with like, you know, your demand channel marketing, like you have a huge win. So, I mean, those personal relationships, those one-on-one conversations, like what works the most? And you'll see me like just yell this from the rooftops on my LinkedIn. It's like, if you don't connect marketing to sales, the salespeople are the ones that are having those authentic conversations. That's, yeah. I mean, yes, marketing before it even gets to sales, but like, it's got to be a full, a full funnel thing. Like it has to be authenticity all the way up and down. So that strong connection and that strong sentiment and really understanding the needs of your buyers is like the harder the economy, the closer you get to your clients. And you just, if you're at a company that's struggling, you just got to pray they got good product market fit. Because I mean, this is the time it's going to get tested, right? Like, yeah, this is it. This is this is the moment. <laughs> I love that too. That's such a good soundbite. Is the harder the economy, the closer you should get to your customers. That mm-hmm. is a quote to put on a shirt. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's just it's so true. I mean, right now retention is the new demand gen, right? Everybody's saying so. Mm-hmm. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. It's less expensive to keep the clients who love you and like giving them your all is the most important thing. And I mean, yeah, there's just so much I could say about in a good time when we have all of the money to throw wherever we want, you know, no one's concerned about customer acquisition costs. You know, they're not worried yeah. about what channels are and aren't working. They just want to be on every channel. They'll throw money at Google ads. They don't care if the algorithm understands the Google. I mean, they don't they'll set it to mass clicks, you know, not conversions. They'll teach the algorithm just to send junk leads through, you know, and then, and then marketing's like, I hit my MQLs. This is great. And then sales (laughs) is like, "Mm, whatever, you know, like we've got enough numbers. It's fine. But the harder the economy gets, it's like, you got to strip all that stuff away. And then you start really digging into the hard stuff of like, do I actually know what my customer's struggle with on a date? Like what problems am I really solving? And then product market fit comes for you. Woo. Oof. But it's good work. It's interesting yeah. work. 
So true. <laughs> How often do you recommend diving into customers and making sure you still know their pain points and their core challenges? Is that a, yeah. I, that should be a regular exercise, right? Yeah. I mean, if you are, it depends on the size of companies, you know, the larger companies have the luxury of having a whole product department and they're yeah. fabulous. And if you're not talking to them regularly, having coffee with them, especially as a brand demand, or even a salesperson, like we would get on that train right now. You got to go talk to yeah. them right now. But if you're at a smaller company, like it gets scrappier, it gets harder. Those startups, it gets tougher because if you don't have a product person or if you have a single product, maybe even just a manager, it's being in touch with like the buyer cycle. Like what are you really need to get in touch with that person? Or if not, listen to customer calls. Like if you don't even have a product department, like go to sales and be like, hey man, or gal or person, yeah. can I listen to your customer calls? Like, how's it going? Like just gather, whatever you got to do, like you have to figure it out. Yeah. Yeah. That's so true. And brand and demand. Let's dive into that too. Cause that's both in your title, which I love to see. I very, very rarely see that brand Longest and demand. Title the of title. The world. <laughs> <laughs> but how, how is this all coming together? Cause we were just talking about demand and of course with the rebrand, the brand side, how do you see both working together and why do you see the importance of that, the, of you kind of leading both together? Yeah, I'm really fortunate to work with an amazing team. So we all have our own superpowers. My superpower is, you know, business strategy, brand, full funnel marketing. So bringing that perspective to a, a demand manager who's managing channels, right? They have their specialty. So I get that overview of organic and then business strategy and the demand side. So putting in the sentiment of those like channel marketing pieces, those paid marketing pieces, right? To me, this is like the function of a great marketer. Like uh, my title could easily be head of marketing or whatever, you know, like mm -hmm. I have a full funnel integrated mindset to begin with. I just happened to have come up through that organic and brand and sentiment side and then dove into the business strategies. So working with demand, brand and demand are like just totally they're best friends there it's a synergy yeah. that you can't it's a bond you can't break you cannot have one without the other it just doesn't work very well and it connects back into organic anyways so if you guys aren't like working together you, i mean there's you cannot cannibalize the seo you cannot cannibalize like you've got to be working together so i mean as far as managing both i mean really it's just it's a natural inclination plus i work at a smaller company so we we wear a lot of different hats it's just the hallmark of strong marketing and just being fierce with it you know it's we do not have separate departments or whole functions to dedicate one day yeah. maybe that would be amazing but at this point yeah at this point, you just have to, you wear the hats, you know, and, and you learn from the people underneath you and you hire the people who are much, much smarter than you to do cool stuff, you know? <laughs> mm -hmm. How do you, do you measure both kind of equally or do you have different metrics that you follow for the brand side and the demand side, or do you kind of bring them together holistically? Yeah. So it's, I break it up into disciplines. So we have the organic side. So you have uh, organic is web, social content. So you can easily measure sentiment, creative. Wow, that was, sorry, that's me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> Obviously, I'm very popular. Um, <laughs> so usually what I do is we break it into disciplines. So organic has their own measurement and KPIs. We do weekly reporting too. And then demand has their own KPIs, usually tied to revenue, MQL, SQL, that whole classic. 
But so yeah. does organic. I mean, organic is looking at like that dark funnel aspect. And I mean, attribution is an interesting beast, but yes. they inform each other. So having an open team who we all are run by top level metrics from the C-suites down. You know, we know we have OKRs. We know what our goals are. Drive XYZ SQLs and XYZ million in, in yeah. marketing pipeline, right? The new, new business. And then each discipline has markers, you know, like thumbs in the air of like, how are we doing that we check in on depending on like, you know, we do it every week. Like, hey, how's SEO performing? How's paid channels? What What's working this week? You know, what can, yeah. what are, what's our conversion rate? you know, what's our, our CAC. So, I mean, it sounds like a lot, but it's not. You get into a rotation of like measuring only the things that matter, the most important pieces, the most important metrics. And then you have a really good view of what's kind of going on from a week to week, month to month, and then quarterly basis. Perfect. And that sounds good. It, it, the, it makes so much sense that both are together. So one thing you mentioned organic separate from demand. Why are those two kind of separate from each other? Uh, you know, it's based on like, so each company is massively different, you know, like yeah. I've seen companies structured where it's VP brand and that under brand, it would be company communications, employer brand, yeah. and, and it would be still considered marketing. Right. And it wouldn't touch any, any client facing stuff or it would, it would touch client facing stuff, but most of it was like, thank you cards or presentations or, yeah. you know, whatever. And then you would have something else creative broken out into creative services, which would serve the entire company. Wouldn't necessarily matter. It could be demand. It could be product. It could be the CEO making a presentation, you know? So, I mean, the way that these departments function depend on the business strategy of the company. You know, it's the reason I take a full funnel integrated viewpoint. Like I want to know what's happening on either side of the fence because clearly they inform each other. The higher up you get and the larger the company, the harder it is to continue the communication, the more work you have to put into it. You know, your smaller teams, you have a lot more finite control. But for this particular situation, it, they aren't necessarily separate. They're based on the employees' best skills that we have for them. And they have their own disciplines, you know, but we're all the same marketing team. You know, it's all one yeah. team. Mm -hmm. So a lot of collaboration and cross-sharing information and looking oh, yeah. at the reports together as a team, it seems. Like. Yeah. Yeah. Nobody does any work that isn't already being like approved or viewed by someone else to say, uh, yes, I put my stamp on. This is why we do integrated mm. like marketing. We do integrated planning. Like we're going through that right now. So not only do we set OKRs, but I get everyone in the same room, all the leaders that lead disciplines in the same room. And I say, okay, I love your strategy. That's fine. This is not a strategy meeting. Tell me the tactical items. Like, let's look at it from an ops perspective. How many blog posts, how many new like social media posts, how many, like, tell me the quantity so that we can all actively support each other to accomplish the work because demand can't possibly write something ad copy wise without someone in co like content yeah. reviewing the co So it's like, we got to have the time to do all those things. So, so true. It's a, yeah, it's a full experience. I love that what we call integrated planning. Mm -hmm. I love that because it, it gets everybody aligned and it almost creates accountability, but without, this is another word like failure, right? That has a negative connotation. You hear accountability and you get like, ooh, bogged like, down. Oh and, exactly. <laughs> Who's going to be looking over my shoulder? a positive thing. Yeah. <laughs> but if you're all like laying everything on the table and like asking questions and being like, yeah. okay, I'm, I can help out on this side. And 
it just makes everybody work together, right? Mm -hmm. And see, okay, you know what? We probably can achieve this and this at the same time. So we should probably change this timeline. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And then you get out of the situation of like finger pointing of like, well, I wasn't able to hit my KPI or my OKR because la 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 la. I'm like, we're all adults. We have a project management system and a project manager. I'm just so blessed because my CMO, I was like, can we hire a project manager? And she was like, why? And I was like, here are the reasons. And she was like, oh my God, that sounds amazing. And I'm like, people don't realize the power of project management and operations. Like, and I'm so lucky that she did praise like, yes, but yeah, I mean, it, it, it gives people accountability, autonomy. And the other beautiful thing about it is like, I can go look at someone's workload and be like, boo-boo, you are taking on way too much. Like, yes. are you okay? You know, are you, what's going on here? You know? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. exactly. Yeah. It, it prevents me from micro, I mean, I don't want to micromanage you anyways, Yeah. but I want, I want visibility into what's, how's it going? You know, like, what's late? What do you need help on? Do you have blockers? So having that top level visibility keeps me out of your business, which is awesome. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you don't want me in it anyways, because it's going to take me a million years to catch up on the finite things. And yeah. then it also gives people the ability to have strong conversations with each other to do some horse trading, right? Like, yeah. well, I want to do X, Y, and Z because I want to drive X, Y, and Z revenue. Cool. However, I'm doing this. Is there a way we can like double duty and 90% of the time they're like, yeah, duh. Why didn't I think about that? So yeah, yeah exactly. And prioritize, right? So it helps that visibility. Very the name cool. of the game. There's just no way. I mean, with lean teams, like I specialize in lean teams and this is like, there's just no way you cannot, like you have to have people on the you same can't page. can't do it all. No. Yep. Oh God, no, no. There's one thing I want to cycle back to that you had mentioned and I jotted down here and that's your superpowers. <laughs> and identifying the superpowers of everyone on your team. Yeah. Is there any way that you can share how how you identify your own superpower so that people on, that are listening can do the same? Ooh, that's such a good question. <sighs> you know, first of all, I think it goes to goes without saying like whatever you're passionate about is easiest to like gravitate towards. Yeah. If you're interested in it, it's easier to accumulate as much power and knowledge in that particular thing, right? Um, the other thing too is that's I think a, a misnomer is that people believe they can only have one superpower. Yes. It's totally okay to be amazing at like a couple of different things. The I think the limit there is that we're all human and we only have a certain capacity to be like experts in specific things, you know? So if you have to choose one, definitely like explore your options. But the other part of it is a healthy dose of self-awareness, which is hard because self-awareness is actually pretty yes. rare. So, I mean, if you're not sure what you're good at, if you're maybe you know, someone newer in the industry and they've got a lot of options to take, you know, it's like making a choice is the first step. Just choose something, choose anything. You'll learn, you'll make mistakes. You'll find out if you hate it or not. That's step number one. But if maybe you're a little bit further in your career, you know, I think those 360 reviews, those quarterly reviews or or mid-year reviews from your peers, I think that gives you really good perspective on like how other people view you and marrying that with what you view yourself as being an expert in. That's super helpful. I'm lucky that I'm in a part of my career where people join like working with me and they typically have superpowers established. The younger people that work for me, like it's a little bit more coaching because they, they're, it takes time to identify what you're really truly passionate about. People don't just wake up and say like, I'm going to choose this one thing and that's it. Like that's not, 
it's not real. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Especially when there's so many options, there's decision oh fatigue, right? You're like, which path do I go down as you're starting out? <laughs> yeah. Just as long as you choose one, then you're going to be okay. Cause it's okay to fail. You know, you have to fail in order to figure out if that's going to be the thing that is your, your thing, you know? So, yeah. And wow, this came full circle back to embracing failure. You got to fail to learn and to grow. Mm -hmm. So from yeah. the get go. Well, yeah. Elizabeth, thank you so much for joining us today. This has been such an amazing episode. I appreciate you sharing all your insight. We could totally, what do they say? Double click and dive deep into each aspect that we touched on. So I'd love to have you back to do that and chat some more, but thank you for joining us. It's been a yeah. pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. This was a lot of fun. Yay. We'll do it I again. And thank you everyone for listening for sure. And where can everyone find you and connect with you? Oh, just follow me on LinkedIn. That's the easiest. It's follow Elizabeth. I mean, that's my my at tag Perfect. on every social media anyways. So ah, making it soon easy. threads, I'm sure. Yeah, um, I just <laughs> downloaded that app. I was like, what is this? It's addictive. So Watch out. I'm so excited to try it. I'm going to try it today. I'm so excited. Yay. I'll follow you. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you everybody for listening. If you enjoyed the show, like, share with a friend, write a review. Again, it helps us get more, I was going to say eyeballs, but we're not on YouTube yet. It gets us more ears. <laughs> so thanks everyone for following and supporting the show. Have a great day.